As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hello there, welcome back to the show. Justin Briley hosting this season of the podcast with Alistair McGrath and today continuing our conversation on C.S. Lewis, transhumanism and technology, including what Lewis might have made of today's big tech giants like Facebook. Do rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps others to discover the show. Had a lovely tweet from Rosemary on Twitter this last week, who's just discovered the show, saying, made a great discovery a couple of days ago, the C.S. Lewis podcast. Such fascinating conversations. Thank you, Justin and Alistair. You're a gift to the world in the 21st century. And by the way, if you want to follow uh, myself uh, on Twitter, it's UnbelievableJB you're looking at. And Alistair is Alistair E. McGrath. Uh, If you want more from the show, of course, you can go to our webpage, cslewispodcast.com. Though we are shortly going to be unveiling a new website, bringing all our podcasts from Premier Unbelievable into one place, which is exciting. So watch this space for more news on that. And if you want to support the show into 2022 from anywhere in the world, you can find links to do that with today's podcast. Hope you enjoy today's conversation. Let's talk about the abolition of man. I've got a specific quote here, which I think is very relevant to the conversation we've been having, Alistair, about transhumanism technology, the the idea that some people may be able to ultimately control large swathes of people through it. Um, He says this, man's conquest of nature, if the dreams of some scientific planners are realised, means the rule of a few hundreds of men over billions upon billions of men. There neither is nor can be any simple increase of power on man's side. Each new power won by man is a power over man as well. Each advance leaves him weaker as well as stronger. In every victory, besides being the general who triumphs, he is also the prisoner who follows the triumphal car. Explain what Lewis means by that and and then we'll, we'll talk into it. He's in effect saying that if you're dealing with the technological enhancement of humanity or indeed... Anything which is about um, giving human beings additional powers, then in effect, there are certain people who are in control of this process. And therefore, in effect, they are biased and they are in effect thus going to bring about certain changes which may directly or indirectly benefit them. And so Lewis, I think, is making the point that actually this means that a relatively few people are having a disproportionate impact on everyone else. It's all about recognizing that there is something about human nature which inevitably leads us to ask, what's in this for me? And by doing this, I may well make other people's lots better, but it makes my lot even better. 
And that's a very serious issue because it's all about the morality of those who are in charge of the process. And again, the point that Lewis does raise, what happens if they make changes that cannot be undone? Now, to me, that's a very important point. But there's also for me here a very important critique of humanism. I was talking to a, a humanist the other day and I asked him you know, what was so great about humanism. He says, well, it's all about human beings achieving their potential and in effect liberating themselves from oppression. I asked him to give me an example of oppression and he talked about political oppression. So I said, well, all you are doing is saying it's one set of human beings liberating themselves from another set of human beings. I mean, what's so great about that? Because if you're saying that humanity is wonderful, you're simply saying that we have to liberate ourselves from some human beings who aren't quite so wonderful. So for me, this does raise some very important questions. It's almost as if we are saying there are certain kinds of human beings, certain individual human beings who are more important than others, and they get to set the agenda. They get to see everything from their way of seeing things, and their worldview is imposed upon others. And that's the big thing I really worry about, because um, some, post, some transhumanist thinkers say that there are such challenges ahead, we need some kind of intellectual and moral rebooting. Maybe we do, but who's going to do that? And what I'm worried about is those who, in effect, have designs to have power over us will, in effect, reboot us with their own agendas in mind. And that's a very serious issue. And I think, again, we need to make sure that that comes into discussion. Mm. Now, Lewis, in that quote you get, he makes the, the very important point about the ambiguity of human nature. You know, the, there's a general who triumphs and then there's a prisoner who kind of is following in, in the wake of that triumph because each are human beings. But one has come out on top and the others come out on the bottom. And my real concern is transhumanism is subtly altering who's on top and who's on the bottom of the pile. It's such an interesting point you draw out there, especially in that conversation with the humanists, because as you say, um, everything can, can, in a sense, be interpreted as a power play. You know, it's just my my agenda versus your agenda. Now, the humanist may think, well, I, I obviously have the right view. I, I obviously believe, you know, that, that, you know, in the right things over that person over there who believes in the wrong things. But but the question, I suppose, is how, how do we determine who has the right view, who ultimately has the moral high ground? And because that ultimately, as you say, that will determine the choices we make about how we institute this technology, what to what ends it's being served. And and I have heard of, you know, the, at transhumanist conferences, people trying to draw up a sort of charter of sorts, you know, about, well, well, what are the limitations we're going to put on? What are going to be the fail safes that we put, you know, on technology in order that, mm. that it doesn't run amok? Um, but but at every point there. This is not a neutral decision, is it, Alistair? This is people making significant decisions about effectively the future of humanity. And and as you say, what what are the concerns? Is it that you think we could actually be put placing our futures in the hands of people who ultimately don't have our best wishes at heart, or, or don't know what our best you know outcomes are ultimately? What what's your great fear in in this regard? Well, let me go back to my conversation with the humanist recently. I, I, I mean, I, I pointed out, look, that there are some very nice people and then the, the Nazis who, who put people in concentration camps and run death camps. My colleague's response to me from a humanist perspective was this. Well, that's because we are the right kind of human beings and the Nazis were the wrong kind of human beings. We need to educate them to make them into the right kind of human beings. 
And there were two thoughts went through my mind. One was, uh, that was a rather <laughs> optimistic <laughs> reflection on the importance of education. But number two, note how the right kind of human beings becomes normative here. You know, there's humanity as a whole, and then there's the right kind of human beings, and we want to encourage those to emerge. Who makes that judgment? My, my, my colleague clearly thought he did. Uh, I have to say that uh, that's, that's a rather dangerous assumption. So your point is absolutely fair, that, that, that this is not a neutral discussion. There, there is the serious risk of power being abused to promote a certain agenda. And I'm not at all clear that really people have talked this through properly. That's why historical precedents are really important. And Lewis, I think, helps us to begin to think about these questions. I mean, coming back to the abolition of man, I think Lewis there, you know, is is trying to help people realise that there is no neutral ground, if you like. There, There is no sort of, um, you know, we can't just assume that science is always going to progress in some sort of direction in which always favours uh, human flourishing um, because there are people at the centre of it with their own, you know, biases and desires. Um he do, so, so where, where does Lewis suggest we go to in order to find, if you like, an objective standpoint from which we can think about what what is ultimately flourishing? What you know, so that we don't abolish man, but rather that we truly, if you like, find find what humankind truly is here for, if you like, for our our, our true purpose and so on. I think I think Lewis at various points uses a, a phrase which you don't find uh, often elsewhere, but the towel. Um, as a sort of moral guiding sort of objective principle let's say in life that 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 we should all somehow be beholden to that that there is something out there if you like can can you explain that and 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 does this give us a sense of, of where lewis is saying we should be heading if we are going to find some kind of an objective point of view if you like for for what mankind is here for I think Lewis is really getting at the idea that there's an instinct within human nature, whether it's natural or whether it comes from God, um, which, which is in effect saying um, there are certain inbuilt moral principles within human nature which are there to guide us through the new challenges we face. So in effect, what Lewis is saying is that, um, that particularly under Christianity, Christianity does indeed give us the moral example of Christ and many other very important disclosures like that, but also reaffirms some traditional natural ways of thinking. And what Lewis is saying is that, that you can see this everywhere. These guys who want to abolish man, who want to reprogram us, are they going to abolish those intuitions as well, which in effect guide us as we try to think our way through these things? Now, Lewis's point is, is not quite as good as it might be, because, again, Lewis was writing these words during the Second World War, when it seemed to many people that actually uh, the human ability to kind of correct itself or insist on behaving in certain moral ways had kind of fallen to bits. But nevertheless, he is saying there is something within us which says this is wrong and that there's a danger that by being reprogrammed, we will lose that. Now, let me give you an example. Um, if you look at transhumanist writings, one of the big things they talk about is the extension of human lifespan. Okay, so we can live now to be 500 years old. Isn't that wonderful? Now, I want you to think about this. You know, um, uh, we live for that length of time and we're going to be much more healthy, which means there are going to be a lot more human beings on the earth. 
and the earth is not going to be able to sustain that population. So what happens? Well, as, as you will know from Malthus' essay on human population, we have two options. Number one, war. Number two, famine. So in other words, you know, in effect, extending human lifespan means we have to reduce human numbers because otherwise we exceed what the planet can support. And so there are really important issues here, like who is allowed to reproduce, who gets the food and various things like that. And that's why Lewis's idea that we need some kind of inbuilt moral principles to, to face up to these challenges is so important. But the danger is that this process of modification of humanity which lies behind transhumanism may end up simply giving us a moral framework which benefits certain privileged individuals. So I think there's a real concern there which again I, I, I very much hope somebody is going to engage with. It's also prescient to current news stories. I mean we've, we've heard recently about Facebook which already has a disproportionate impact on so many people's lives but um, that they've announced these plans for a metaverse um, is sort of immersive online 3D alternative reality that we could, you know, potentially all spend all our time in. And, and it, it's all, it almost sounds like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is, is literally writing the plot of some sort of dystopian sci-fi um, film already. But but I mean, I mean, that is just one example of, of literally someone creating something where an alternative reality where, you know, a corporation, a person has total control effectively of the environment that, that people will end up spending a lot of their time in. I mean, it, how do you think Lewis would have reacted to that kind of a concept? A again, it, it would have been almost unthinkable to him that we might be now talking about the, the, these kinds of things being instantiated in reality, a sort of alternative, you know, um, digital reality that we could all live in. Um, what, what, what would Lewis say to that kind of a, a, an idea? If I've read Lewis correctly, um, I think he would say something like this. What um, Mark Zuberberg is proposing, and I'm not criticizing, I'm just saying this, this is the way it seems to me it's going to pan out. He's saying, here's a playground, but that playground is going to turn into a prison. It's going to limit us. It's going to shape our expectations, shape our understandings, and in effect, it will constrain us. And I think that that's for me is a, is a real concern. If someone creates a playground, then something of them is going to be embedded in that playground, in the rules, so to speak. And again, it's all about the very influential and very powerful finding a way of controlling other people. And it's a bit like uh, Watership Down. It's a bit like uh, you know dystopian novels. In effect, you have some very powerful individual creating something that keeps people happy and then you can control them. It's a bit like Marx's idea. You know, Marx argued that religion was the opium of the masses, by which he meant really that um, it dulled them, it made them happy, so they didn't bother doing some awkward political things. And I'm worried about the same thing happening here. It's about, in effect, being sucked into this pleasure zone. And as a result, we disengage from deep philosophical, ethical, issues. So for me, that's a really interesting question. And I've written a book by actually Doris Lacing, a, a well-known novelist the other day. It's all about, in effect, constructing prisons that we enjoy inhabiting. In other words, we create mental frameworks and we like them. So we, we go into them and, okay, so um, 
they prevent us from doing certain things, but we're happy there. So we just um, collude with this. And Doris Lessing's point is that, in effect, all we have done is voluntarily imprison ourselves without realizing what we're doing. I think that, that, that to me is a real concern here, that what very often is presented to us as something wonderful, something that makes us very, very happy, is really a way of controlling us so we don't ask awkward questions and suggest there might be other ways of doing things. So again, I, I think there are some awkward questions here that really do need to be looked at. And again, if I can make this point, I know The Abolition of Man is a difficult book. I think Lewis was regularly disappointed because it didn't sell very well, but it is, I think, prescient. It's saying that we are moving in directions which remove our moral framework. It's difficult to use words like good and evil because that's seen as being judgmental. And we're moving to a world where we're saying, well, you know, we just generate these ideas so they're all equally good. And Lewis is saying is that the more we reduce um, moral values, um, deep existential longings, simply saying, well, that's part of being human, we are in effect abolishing ourselves because we're simply saying everything we regard as important is simply a product of human, of human thinking. And therefore we can simply say, because we can explain it, we can explain it away and we don't regard as being binding anymore. The more we explain about ourselves physically and biologically, the less important who we are and what we think becomes. And Lewis is he's not really taking this anywhere, but he is, if you like, venting his frustration at what seems to be happening and inviting others to pick up the conversation. Mm, yeah absolutely and and again it, it it is fascinating the way lewis writing obviously with the limitations of his day and age does seem to again prefigure so many of these these current conversations we have and and uh, that that's what i i think that's what stands out for me often about lewis's writing is is that it seems to be able to speak generations down the line in a, in the ways that other writers don't always um i mean just just one more point before we start to wrap up it, it, obviously lewis's writing doesn't just prefigure you know the potential dangers of technology and biology if you like uh in in an earthbound capacity many people you know these days are talking about wanting to escape our planet too um elon musk has his sights set on mars you know sci-fi literature and films have always dreamed of taking us to other galaxies and so on um I mean, Lewis obviously did write a, a sci-fi series himself, which involves space travel. Um, what were Lewis's thoughts on not just escaping human bodily limitations, but the limitations of our planet? Did, did he have much to say on that particular issue that, that often preoccupies people so much today? Well, Lewis does write science fiction. And like many people who write science fiction, it's a way of kind of way exploring options in a different context, which helps you to think through questions um, in, in very interesting ways. But I think Lewis is also, I think, beginning to raise some some deeper questions. And I think that actually they've become much more important now than they were in Lewis's day. I mean, if I, if I could put it like this, um, there's always been this instinct of colonizing other planets. And, and that, is, that is seen as a good thing to do. Nowadays, I think we might say, look, we've messed up this world. Where else is there we can mess up? You know, there's, there's this real concern about <laughs> yes. what human beings do to places. And if, if you think about this, I mean, um, 
think of you know um, people leaving Britain in the late 16th, early 17th century because they felt they were being persecuted. They go to the Americas to start a whole new way of being. And what they end up doing <laughs> is, in effect, um, um, making life difficult for people who are already there and also ultimately messing up the environment. And, and I think we just need to say that there's, there's a real issue here. We haven't done very well in this world. Are we going to do well in other worlds? I think that what Lewis is saying is that you can't abolish human nature. It's there, whether you like it or not. And that means that if we go to other planets, we bring our problems with us. And those are going to act out in uh, wherever we go to. And so, you know, if, if you read some rather predictable science fiction novels, very often it's about going to a strange planet and then the human beings start fighting each other because there's some problem emerges. And again, it's just about human nature. You know, that it, that's the way we are. And that's why I think Christianity gives us such an important moral framework. It's saying, look, face up to this reality. Um, we've got to find ways of controlling this. That's why we have the law. That's why we need a savior. That's why, in effect, we need to be accountable to each other, because otherwise, it's about going on an ego trip whereby my ideas become controlling for others. And that, that's my anxiety about this. As we've been saying throughout our conversation, uh, transhumanism does give a very limited number of people enormous opportunities to control others. And I'm just worried about who those people are. Can we trust them? Well, I'd like to, but there's something deep inside mm. me says, I don't think I can. Yes, because we're all aware of human nature, as, as Lewis was. And in a sense, he, he very much saw the problems that we've identified already with transhumanism, with the mastery of biology, the kind of power that that puts into the hands of a few. So what were his solutions? Was it simply to direct people back to the Christian story? What, what if you like, was Lewis saying, how do we how do we stop ourselves going down a, a track we don't want to pursue? I have to say, I very much admire Lewis's diagnosis of the problem. I'm not quite sure if he gives us solutions. I mean, I think Lewis, to be fair to him, would probably say that actually by diagnosing the problem, he, he really is allowing others to take over from that point. And therefore, it's not fair to say to Lewis, look, you, you've only done, you've given us a starting point and haven't followed through. I mean, he, he really wants us yeah. to follow through. And actually, that's one of the reasons why Lewis actually is a prophetic voice, because a prophetic voice is saying, look, here's what the problem is, and then hands it over to us to do something about it. And, you know, looking, looking at Lewis's lectures, The Abolition of Man, which are now, what, um, uh, 80 years old? You know, I, I think I personally reread those lectures and think, my goodness, um, that was very prophetic. That was very insightful. Those kind of problems are with us. So I think I, I, Lewis's solutions might simply have been appropriate to the 1940s, the Second World War. We would need to develop new ideas now. But I think the importance of Lewis really lies in his diagnosis of the problem and indicating the problem lies with us. Um, and therefore, the question is, how can we abolish the problems within us that Lewis is saying give rise to these wider problems? And the answer we're being offered by transhumanism is to become a different kind of species. I mean, in the end, if you're a biologist, one of the questions you're going to ask is, what is the relationship between human beings and these transhumans, which we are being proposed as the outcome of radical redevelopment of humanity? Are they the same? Or will we kind of look back on them as a kind of earlier stage in the evolutionary mm, process? Mm. 
So that, that's a very important point, I think. Yeah. So I, I would just say, thank you, Lewis, for raising these problems. But we're the ones who've kind of we got to think this through now. Yes, yes. I, I suppose Lewis was a contemporary of Huxley, wasn't he, whose brave new world was sort of also prefiguring, you know, this idea of, you know, humans being radically re-altered and, you know, bred in different ways and so on. And and I suppose at the end of the day, Lewis asked us to consider, yes, well, is is there something humans are for ultimately? Or are we just this, you know, is, is it just a do what you, you know, is there any kind of underlying you know fact of who we are or, or or can we simply reinvent ourselves however we choose and, and and as you have helpfully elucidated alistair that that presents all kinds of questions and problems for us um we've, we must draw it to a close I'm, i just so enjoyed this conversation um further reading um i suppose abolition of man is an obvious place to start it's an obvious place to start and i think also um although it's, it's quite a long book and shows the influence of Charles Williams too much, in my view, um, that hideous strength is definitely worth reading. But I think um, also a lot of recent studies on the nature of progress have made the point that actually progress is very often used uncritically. Progress is only progress if it's for the better. I think what we need to say is some alleged mm. progress is simply redirection by people with agendas in mind. So I think we just need to be critical about this. But Lewis, again, gives us a framework, and I think it's a framework we need as we confront these questions. Uh, I could also recommend um, a recent um, guide to the abolition of man by Michael Ward uh, after humanity. He was featured on the podcast uh, a little earlier on in the year. But um, uh, thank you very much, Alistair, for, for giving us a guide as well to to that book and some of the issues around transhumanism that it rages, raises. But um, for now, thank you very much. And using the technology in all the good ways that we can, I'll, I'll bid you farewell and, and see you next time. I look forward to thank you very much for a very good conversation. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the podcast. For more from the show, visit our show page at cslewispodcast.com. And if you want to support the show in 2022 from anywhere in the world, you can find links to do that with today's podcast episode. Next time, I'll be talking to Alistair about C.S. Lewis, the Inklings and friendship. Until then, God bless and best wishes. Hold up. 